morning and Merry Christmas. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll try and do more interactive dialogue with you during this and keep you awake for that. Um, well, it's good to be back here at New Hope. It's been a little while, um, at least a couple years, if not more, um, but back in the day interning for Jason and um, getting the opportunity to come back again and, and share with you guys is a great pleasure. So um, today we are working from Isaiah 53, um, but first I should probably pray because um, we all need it, and especially me. So, Lord, we come before you on this day uh, as we remember your coming to be with us, to be among us, to live with us, to set your tent among us. Lord, that we would always remember why you came, that you came to bring us to yourself, that you came to be in relationship with us. Lord, we might always remember that bigger picture of what you are doing in all of time to bring us to you. In your name we pray. Amen. One of the uh, interesting things about talking about Isaiah at this time of year um, is the fact that you get to see that bigger picture. Um, Isaiah is appropriate um, because it was appropriated as a a messianic text. It was expected that the Messiah would would look like what Isaiah was talking about um, to the Jews of the first and second century. Um, And also, uh, it gives us the ability to see why Jesus came. And it's not just that Jesus came, and it's great that Jesus showed up as a baby and hung out and was cute and cuddly and lived in a manger for a couple days, and there was kings who came and visited and shepherds. But remembering that bigger picture, remembering the whole reason that Christ came, to bring us into relationship with God. And so Isaiah provides a picture of that and the way Christ made that possible. And so it's really important this time of year um, to be able to do that, to be able to look into Isaiah and to see what that bigger picture is all about. Because too often we want to see the Jesus we want to see rather than the Jesus who is. Uh, we want to make Jesus into who we want him to be or more like ourselves. So we want a happy Jesus or a nice Jesus or a militant Jesus or Jesus the judge or Jesus the scholar, or Jesus the philanthropist. We often try to make Jesus either look like ourselves or or who we want Jesus to be, highlighting the aspects we like and ignoring the aspects we don't. And so, by looking into Isaiah at this time of year, we remember the bigger picture. We remember why Christ came. We remember that Christ is not just an infant child, but Christ is the omnipotent Lord has come to bring us to himself. For those of you familiar with Talladega Nights, you'll recognize the line, Dear Lord Baby Jesus, which is part of Ricky Bobby's uh, now infamous prayer during his uh, wonderful dinner of KFC, Domino's, and the ever-delicious Taco Bell. Um, And as he's praying, he prays to the Dear Lord Baby Jesus, because he likes the infant Jesus better, for whatever reason. Um, and then his wife chimes in and says, well, you should pray to the adult Jesus because Jesus grew up and that'll help us win more races. And then his best friend chimes in and says, well, pray to Jesus in a tuxedo shirt because I like tuxedo shirts and I like 
want Jesus to party like I do, because I party. And then his son chimes in, well, you should pray to ninja Jesus, because I like ninjas, and he should kill evil samurai. And so, quickly on in that little movie, you see what we all do at some level or another. Taking Jesus and making him into who we want him to be, rather than taking him for who he is. And so when it comes to Christmas, it's easy to get stuck at infant Jesus. A powerful Jesus, but still controllable, unoffensive, small enough to put into whatever box we choose, a happy, nice, unassuming, uncontroversial, and safe Jesus. But Isaiah reminds us of this broader picture of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing. Isaiah reminds us that this nice little infant child will grow up to bear the sins of the entire world. Isaiah reminds us that this hopeful beginning is just the beginning and reminds us why this beginning is so hopeful. So let's look at the text. Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his, in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our, up our infirmities and carried out our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressions. In its historical context, this part of Isaiah, at least as I read it, other people will read it very differently, but uh, was written in response to the return of the exiled Israel. In this case, the suffering servant is a personified Israel who has gone into exile and now returns, 
having bore the sins of the rest of the people which brought them into exile. But Isaiah's words also apply to Jesus. It applies to his life and his suffering on behalf of the whole world. One sees in Jesus the continuation and climax of God's saving work. So it is no surprise that what we read here applies to Israel's understanding of the exile and our understanding of the Christ. They both are major events in God's history of salvation and his saving work. So in 53.1, Isaiah starts by referring back to what he has already spoken of. In chapter 52, he talks about the return of the exiled Israel and how God has brought them out of their punishment and begins to describe the suffering servant. And so he starts with this question, who believes this? To whom has this been revealed? This isn't an easy message. It's a hard one. It's a hard one for Israel to hear. It's a hard one for us to hear. Israel had to go into exile. The Messiah had to suffer. And then he continues. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. The word yanak, uh, which is the word for tender shoot, it's the original verb root, uh, means to suck or suckle. It refers to nursing. It's nursing imagery. Um, and here it's applied to a tender plant um, as a plant draws nutrients from the ground and grows. And then Isaiah continues in parallel with this root from dry ground. I think he's applying back to the beginning, the origins of Israel in the desert with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the complete reliance of Israel on God for their salvation from Egypt, for their ability to become a nation. But this also reminds us of the humble beginnings of Jesus, of the manger, of the stable in Bethlehem and how God's will brought all this about, a common beginning for an uncommon person. In 53.3, we hear, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. One can easily see the connections to Israel even in modern times. Um, looking at the way their neighbors dislike them. So it was back in the beginnings of Israel. So it was when Israel was first formed. So it was when Israel came out of Egypt. And so it was with Christ, who though being an outstanding citizen and individual, healing and helping many, he was despised by authorities, rejected by people, and eventually crucified and rejected by his closest friends. And then Isaiah turns to something that is new, something, a new perspective that provides us for the understanding of how Christ's life, death, and resurrection all work. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This idea of vicarious suffering, suffering on behalf of others or for others, that the suffering that the suffering servant goes through has benefit upon other people other than himself was a new idea. It provides a new perspective and a foundation for how we understand what Christ does. And verse 6 explains the need of it. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For Israel, they have failed to continue the covenant relationship with God. They had fallen from their path as the light to the world. And so, God called them into exile. Brought them into exile. So that he might bring them back and reconcile them to God's self. For the rest of the world, well, we're all sinners. We've all made our mistakes. We've all turned from God and followed our own path. And so Christ came to suffer our punishment for our iniquities. But interestingly enough, this flips the Deuteronomic principles of suffering. The traditional perspective was a man who suffers or a person who suffers deserves it. They did something wrong. They did something to deserve the punishment they're receiving, whether it be leprosy or whether it be poverty. But now this suffering is an individual, this suffering individual is one who is good, one who has done nothing wrong and does not deserve the suffering that he receives. And so instead of now the suffering one being the one who doesn't receive blessing, the suffering one is the one who brings blessing. Historically, those who were in exile considered themselves the true Israel. They saw their exile as the suffering servant and the atonement for the sinfulness of the whole community of Israel. They saw what they had gone through as what was cleansing for the whole community to reconcile them back to God. And then in Christ, we see his suffering on behalf of the ungodly, of the sinners. Paul talks about this all the time. He uses the preposition huper, which in Greek means on behalf of or for. And you see it constantly in reference to Christ and what Christ has done. Because Christ suffered on behalf of others, did everything on behalf of others. And this understanding of vicarious suffering in Isaiah provides the foundation for how we understand Jesus' work, how we understand his life, death, and resurrection on behalf of us. The suffering servant reconciled the Israelites with God. Jesus reconciled all of humanity with God. Isaiah goes on. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This image of silence and suffering is a sign of piety. Again, Isaiah is flipping the traditional perspective that suffering is because you did something wrong. This person was pious, was a pious individual who followed 
God, was in right relationship with God. In the historical context, Isaiah is describing Israel, describing the return from exile. And then we see it in Jesus, the pious, undeserving of the suffering servant. In 53.8, he continues, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. The servant is taken away due to oppression and judgment, whether that be individuals or nations. We can see it in Israel with the conquering by other nations and the taking away into Babylon. And we can see it in Jesus with the Roman authorities who take him away. And then because of this taking away, because of this death, who can speak of his descendants? It seems that there's an imminent end. There's no hope beyond this taking away. The suffering servant may be suffering on behalf of others, but that's the end of it. But we see the hope to come. In Isaiah 54, Isaiah talks about a barren woman who has more children than one who has a husband. And so here he will flip it as we continue. He will see how the suffering servant will see the end, will bring about something more. But in the imminent time, they can only see the end. So Israel saw its own end in the exile. They didn't see how God would possibly bring them back into relationship afterwards. They didn't see how this could possibly work out for the betterment of Israel or the whole world. And the disciples, sitting there before the cross, thinking, this is it. We followed this guy for two to three years. And this is it. This is where it ends. How can it end like this? How can this death for the transgression of others, the vicarious suffering, end like this? Well, it doesn't end. But Isaiah still goes on in 53.9. He says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He sets up two parallel thoughts that are antithesis to each other. So we've got the parallel between wicked and rich, the evil burial, the, the burial with the criminals. But then... Isaiah turns it around and says, the suffering servant didn't deserve that burial. The suffering servant was righteous. The suffering servant was blameless. No, no violence or deceit. The servant did not deserve this death. Again, it's the principle of suffering deserves is deserved from something. But Jesus didn't deserve his death. And the idea is the personified Israel didn't either. And so Jesus, who was without sin, died vicariously, died on behalf of the rest of us. And then Isaiah comes to the reversal. He comes to the point where he turns it all around and says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was God's will to bring this about. To bring this suffering and death about on behalf of others. But again, this isn't the end. The suffering servant will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That's not an end, that's a new beginning. And so the markers of unblessedness yield blessing. For Israel, their exile and return, the death and new life of it, allows Israel to continue in covenant relationship with God and establishes the will of the Lord and the call of Israel into the world. In Jesus, we have the resurrection. The first fruits of it seen in Christ after three days. And then with that, the promise to come. The vicarious death brings about blessing and blessedness. The suffering servant isn't suffering because of something he did wrong, but on behalf of others. And that suffering brings about blessedness not only for the suffering servant, but for all. Isaiah continues, After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Again, another reversal. The suffering servant is the one who also is blessed and brings blessing. The suffering results in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. The servant's suffering provides the means for others to be in right relationship with God. For the Israelites, through the Torah. For Jesus is by grace, through faith. Through the suffering, Israel saw the bigger picture. They understood now what they were supposed to be doing. And through Jesus, we see the bigger picture of what God is doing among us and what God has been doing among us for a very long time. 53.12 concludes it. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Both Israel and Jesus receive special relationship with God through their vicarious suffering. The true Israel through exile. Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. Philippians 2, 8 through 10 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' life, death, 
and resurrection show him to be in special relationship with God, to be God. And provides the door for us to start that relationship with God, to be in relationship with God. And so, Isaiah's word about the exile of Israel and God's work to save God's people is seen again in Christ, in Jesus who continues God's story of saving work. Isaiah shows us the bigger context of God's salvation work and the new climactic chapter in Christ. We cannot, like Ricky Bobby, only choose to worship the infant Jesus of Christmas with his golden diaper and his eight ounce or eight pound six ounce body full of power. But we must remember the bigger picture of Christ's salvation work. We must remember that the birth of Jesus is the beginning of something greater. Jesus goes on to live a unique, righteous life, teaching and healing, and then dies a vicarious death on behalf of us all, and three days later, he is risen. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the climax of God's salvation work. And it all starts here at Christmas. It starts here at this moment of hope. But it does not end here. Throughout our lives, we must fight the temptation to make Jesus into who we want him to be rather than to worship him for who he is. If remembering the Christmas Jesus, we must remember why his birth is hopeful in light of the rest of the story. And so here's the rest of the story. In Christmas, we see the continuation of God's saving work in history. But we see only the beginning of a new chapter. And just as we celebrate the beginning of this new chapter in Christ, this fulfillment of God's promises, Advent and Christmas remind us that God's saving work is not done yet. The Christ of Christmas is the same as the Christ who is coming. And so just as that first Christmas was a moment of hope, so we all stand in a moment of hope awaiting the return of Christ and the fulfillment of God's saving work. So as we celebrate Christmas, let us remember the whole Jesus, the Word made flesh, at whose name every knee shall bow, who came to live among people, to die for us all, and to live again, who is coming and with whom we have the promise of life everlasting. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. And we praise you that history is your history. That you have been working to bring people into relationship with you for as long as history has been written and longer. Lord, as we stand here, sit here, and remember that first Christmas morning, that we might remember that this is just the beginning. That just as Christmas was the beginning, so we now stand at a new beginning, awaiting your Son, awaiting the fulfillment of all things, 
made possible through your Son. In your name we pray. Amen.